How many of you glad this morning that we have a marvelous, wonderful Savior? Wow. It's just incredible, incredible. Y'all ready to dive into the message this morning? All right. Open up your Bible to the book of James. Book of James. Um, Now, if uh, you're not sure where that is, uh, it's go to the back to Revelation, turn to the left a few books, a few pages really. And if you get to Hebrews, you went too far, turn back to the right again a little bit till you get to James chapter four. I'm gonna be reading in the New Living Translation this morning. So if you got a digital copy, uh, pull up the New Living Translation. That's what I'll be reading from. So uh, as you're doing that, let me give you a couple of quick updates. I'm trying to keep you abreast of where, where we are. So uh, this has been a very, very uh, busy and uh, tiring week at, uh, at our home in Peoria. Uh, it was productive. We got a lot done, but I tell you, I, I, I honestly think that everything in our house that can possibly be put in a box has now been put in a box and is no longer in our house, but is it waiting for a moving truck in our garage. And uh, so we did a lot of work. Uh, and while we're doing all that lifting and bending and scraping and painting and preparing and dragging stuff out, um, you know what I discovered, and actually both of us discovered, is we discovered parts of our body and muscles that we didn't even know we had. And um, so, and I really wasn't sure whether to thank God for this new discovery uh, or to ask him to take it away because if it hurts that bad, maybe I don't need it. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's been, wow, it was a heck of a week, but I think we've, we've got everything boxed up that we can box up. The only thing left now is the furniture. There is an open house uh, that's happening today at our home in Peoria, so please be praying that somebody walks through and says, wow, this is home, and uh, says, hey, we wanna, we wanna make this our home. Uh, it's been well prayed in for the last five years, and uh, we pray that God provides it for somebody that uh, will love it the way that we have, but we're ready to get here. Yeah. We're ready to get here. And um, we're, we're moving one way or the other. If our house sells or doesn't sell, we're moving immediately because we're just going to trust that God is going to take care of this. On this end, uh, we found out that our appraisal has actually already made it to the lender. And uh, so from that point, it's usually two or three weeks before you close. We don't have a closing date yet, but here's our prayer is that Two weekends from right now, we'll actually be in our house and we'll be residents of Mount Vernon, Illinois. So, <laughs> so be praying for that. All right. So with that said, let's, uh, let's dive in. So I'm going to say something and then I want you to repeat it after me. I am a CEO. You say it. I am a CEO. One more time. I am a CEO. So that's where we've been hanging out for the last couple of weeks. That's kind of what we've been marinating in. And what is, what is that all about? What is this thing about CEO faith that today is week three of? What is that? Well, CEO faith is about ownership. It's about owning your faith. It, it's, it's about thinking bigger than yourself. It is... It is about moving beyond shareholder thinking to life and faith. So if we're going to move past shareholder thinking and an approach to life and faith, let's remind ourselves about a couple 
of things. So first of all, I'm going to put this up on the screen and, and we're going to do this a little different than we had the, the last couple of weeks. I'm going to ask different groups to do this. So I'm going to start with the teens, my youth group. And if you're 19 years or younger and you're sitting in here this morning, then uh, go ahead and put this slide up for me there. So I'm going to ask you what question does every shareholder ask? And then you, you guys hollered out because your parents know you're loud, right? So you holler this out. What question does every shareholder ask? Parents, is that as loud as they can get? Not a chance, is it? Come on now, let me hear you. What question does every shareholder ask? Very good. All right. Ladies, ladies all over the church, what question does a shareholder ask? What's it for me? Men, men, wherever you are, what question does every shareholder ask? What's it for me? Dang, that was good, guys. I'm proud of you right now, man. It made me feel good. A little thump in my chest right there. Now, on the flip side of that, if a shareholder thinks what's in it for me, we're asking you to adopt and develop a CEO mindset, which is completely on the opposite end of the spectrum. And so I'm just going to ask everybody all at once, what question does a CEO ask? Amen. That was awesome. You guys are rocking it this morning. Every CEO asked the question, how can I make it better? So in other words, a CEO is the exact opposite mindset, is the exact opposite approach of a shareholder. And so that means that being a CEO means not being a me-eo. Right? It means getting past always thinking about me. It means getting past what's in it for me. You think bigger than yourself. Your goals are bigger than yourself. Your mission is bigger than yourself. Now, I find it really interesting that when people can agree to a mission that is larger than themselves, it can attract a really diverse group of people that unite around a common cause. Now, let me give you a great example of that. How many of you here this morning have ever seen the movie Lord of the Rings? All right, that's most of you, but not all of you. Uh, there was a, a writer, a British writer, a J.R. Tolkien, and he used uh, sort of sci-fi, if you want to, uh, 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 writing back in his day to make an allegory really of our faith. Lord of the Rings is, is really some some way to, to sort of share the idea of faith with an unbelieving world. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it is. And so this movie came out in 2001. Can you believe, some, some of you guys graduating this year or do, that you just graduated, that movie came out either the year you were born or before you were born. Is that crazy? 17 years ago is when that movie came out. Now, when it came out, our two boys, Zach and Brandon, they were begging me to go see this movie. Now, we don't normally go to see a lot of movies in the theater. We're cheap. We wait for them to come out on DVD. But I decided I would take them to go see Lord of the Rings. And so we went, and, and my oldest son, Zach, he absolutely loved this movie. Well, every year at Christmas time, we buy each person's favorite movie of the year as a DVD. It is sort of a, a collection of your favorite movies of the year. 
And so that was Zach's movie of the year. He wanted Lord of the Rings. And so we bought it and obviously we've watched it several more times since then. Now, if you've ever watched the movie, you have to be sort of captivated and amazed by this incredibly odd collection of individuals that come together around this mission. And, and as any time a group gets together and, and agrees to, to accomplish a mission, you got to name yourself, right? I mean, you know, the Justice League, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you got to have a name. And so they named themselves the Fellowship of the Ring. And, and they pledged loyalty to each other, they pledged loyalty to the mission, and the mission was to destroy the ring of power, to defeat the evil dark lord, and to save Middle Earth from destruction. Well, that's a pretty good mission, wouldn't you say? I think that's a good mission. But when you looked at this group, and it's not a very large group, it's a small group, and you would think when you have a small group, most everybody would sort of be like each other, but this group of people had absolutely nothing in common. This group was made up of humans and elves and hobbits and dwarves, and normally they would sort of be enemies with each other, but because they were agreed on the mission, because they were thinking larger than themselves, it brought them together for a common cause and a mission that was bigger than themselves. But no sooner did, did this fellowship begin than it started to kind of unravel and come apart. Because here's what happened. They all pledged loyalty to each other and they all pledged loyalty to the mission. But as they started going, here's what happened so many times. They started thinking, what's in it for me? They started thinking, well, what if I had the ring of power? What could I do with the ring of power? What could I do if I was in charge? And shareholder thinking began to creep into their fellowship. And when it did, distrust began to grow. Because now when you could see that somebody was starting to think what's in it for them instead of the mission, you start to wonder, who can I trust? Who can I count on? Why did they do that? Why did they say that? Why do they want that? Everybody's motives started to be questioned. And it was really clear that the power of evil was wanting to destroy the fellowship. It wanted to get them to turn on each other, to think about what they could get out of it instead of focusing on the bigger picture. Why? Because if it could destroy the fellowship, they would never succeed. And to make matters worse, not too far into their journey, their leader, whose name was Gandalf, died trying to save them from an evil monster. So here they are, not very far into their journey. They've lost their leader. They're all starting to think about what's in it for me. They're starting to question each other. The mission has gotten fuzzy. That's not a good situation for success, is it? Not looking too good. But then they ran across some allies who had some interesting observations and insights into their mission. So watch this short clip from Lord of the Rings and then we'll talk about the rest of it. Do not let 
The great emptiness of Khazad-dûm fill your heart, Gimli, son of Gloin. For the world has grown full of peril. And in all lands, love is now mingled with grief. Comes of this fellowship without Gandalf hope is lost. The quest stands upon the edge of a knife. Stray but a little and it will fail to the ruin of all. Yet hope remains while the company is true. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Go now and rest. That's where we are this morning, church. See, over the course of time, a wide, diverse group of people have come and they gathered here around a common mission. And that mission is to make sure that we share the gospel with those who need to know that Jesus Christ died for them and that he is ready to save them from their sins. And our mission is to help them once they've done that to grow deeper and and stronger in that commitment. That is our mission. But it's really easy as time goes by for the mission to get a little fuzzy. To lose a CEO mindset that stops asking How can I make it better? And to start asking what's in it for me. It's really easy to start getting bogged down in shareholder thinking instead of CEO thinking of how can I make this better? And so what you just saw in that clip, it said the mission stands on a razor's edge. But hope remains hope remains this morning church success in our mission is still possible and by God's grace we claim that it's not only possible it's going to happen we're going to have success in God's mission here but that means that we've got to address the reality that Shareholder thinking, what's in it for me, is always on the edge of rearing its head, which means conflict is always right around the corner. And conflict always has the potential to destroy the fellowship that is trying to accomplish the mission. Am I right? So let's start with how conflict happens, because that's what we're going to address this morning. CEO faith that we're going to talk about this morning is going to be stand this morning for cover every offense. See, last week we talked about a CEO faith that was a constant evaluator of opportunity, right? We don't want to be afraid to take a risk for God. Because a risk for God is not really a risk, it's an opportunity. But today, we want to talk about a CEO faith 
that says, I want to learn how to cover every offense. So how does that happen in the first place? Okay, James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. James chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights, what's causing the conflict among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, and so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, and so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them, and yet you don't have what you, what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now, here's what James says. The bottom line in any conflict is that you want something you don't have. Whether it's a possession or a position or, or maybe it's even the way that somebody treats you versus the way they treat somebody else. You wish they'd treat you the way they treat somebody else and you don't have that and you want it. And none of us are immune to this way of thinking. I'm not immune to this way of thinking. It can happen to any and every one of us. And, but you know when it is most likely to happen is when we lose our focus on the bigger mission. So when we start to think about what's in it for me, when we stop asking how can I make it better and we start asking what's in it for me, that's when we start to have what James 4, 1 and 2 is describing where we want something we don't have and it rises up in our spirit and it creates conflict between us and someone else. And I would suggest to you this morning that in, in the end, every conflict is, is based in relationship, right? And that means that every relationship that we have is vulnerable to this situation. That means our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our children, our relationship with our coworkers, with our neighbors, every one of those can be a place of conflict and pain. Every one of those places. And church, church, man, do I even need to say it? Church can be one of the worst places of all. Man, there is nothing that hurts worse than getting hurt in the work of God in God's house. There is nothing that feels deeper in our soul and our spirit than trying to go about the work of God and finding ourselves injured in the process. And it is tragic to think how many people don't go to church at all anymore because they got injured by another person in church while they're trying to serve God. And so they've just thrown up their hands and said, no, thank you, I'm not... I'm not interested. I'd like to think, I wish I could think that all of us at all times could be completely focused on the bigger picture and that wouldn't happen. I'd like to think that I could stay focused on the bigger picture all the time and that wouldn't happen. But that's hard, isn't it? In the story and in the movie, 
See, the evil dark Lord knew that if he could, could create conflict and, and get people off of the big picture and focused on themselves and what's in it for them, if he could bust up their fellowship, they would never succeed. And church, I would tell you today that there is a real evil dark Lord in the world. His name is Satan. And his desire is to destroy every fellowship of believers that he possibly can to get them to rise up against one another so that the work of God cannot be successfully accomplished. That's what he wants to do. And so we have to be very, very vigilant about that. And here's here's how he goes about it. See, he knows that he can manipulate and twist our own selfish desires. And we've got them, don't we? We got them to accomplish that goal. And so that means that conflict is going to be a reality. So if, if and when conflict happens and it's going to happen, you realize that people respond to conflict in very interesting and, and different ways. So you, you have some people that uh, avoid and withdraw, right? They become like Olympic quality sprinters. You know, when conflict comes up, it's like, how fast can I get out of here? I want nothing to do with this. Or they just cover it up and pretend that it didn't happen. They'll sweep it under the rug and hope that bump never knocks them down. There are people who will explode in conflict. You know, they sort of do this slow simmer and they stew in their own juices for a while and then something happens and they just explode. You seen that happen? I mean, sometimes they'll throw dishes. Sometimes they'll throw cuss words. They'll throw a fist through the wall. They'll, they'll throw fits. It's like a volcano just spewing stuff everywhere. And then, and then it's done. And it just goes dormant again. And you have no idea when it's going to explode again. But it is going to explode again. And then you have people that thrive on conflict. I don't understand these people. Have you ever known somebody that just starts a fight to have a fight? like they're just constantly stirring something up I don't get those people at all but they're there and so some people will avoid and withdraw conflict some people explode and some people just kind of stir it up as they go well as a church at a leadership level we recognize that there's going to be conflict and so this morning we're going to talk briefly about how to manage and deal with that conflict from a biblical perspective so that we don't get off track of accomplishing God's mission. Now, here's here's what happens when we start talking about conflict. See, the first thing that we want to do when we know there's conflict between us and somebody else or another group of people is we want to point fingers, right? See, shareholder thinking is all about what's in it for me, 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 until it comes to conflict. And then it's you, 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 you. Right? It's all about the other person then. Look what you did. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe this. I can't believe you did the other thing. But James says that's all wrong. Because he said, where does all this conflict come from? From within your own flesh. Your own desires gone haywire. James says, when we talk about conflict, we got to start with ourselves. So I'm going to give you five quick points. Write these down. And listen, church, 
week to week, I'm really going to ask you to come prepared to write stuff down because no matter how bad your notes are, anything with a pen or a pencil and paper will last longer than the disappearing ink that's in our brain. Have you noticed that? And when we come, we're here to not just hear, but to learn, right? And to grow. So I'm asking you to take these notes down so that you take them home with you and you learn from them and you grow from them. So five quick points. Number one is decide to love. Proverbs 10 verse 12 from the ESV says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses or covers every offense. Hatred stirs up trouble, but love covers them all. Now, hatred is probably a little too strong a word in terms of how we know it. What it really is referring to here is a strong dislike. Have you ever noticed the people that you really don't like the the least or like the least, however, however you say that? The ones you don't like are the ones you have the most trouble with. Is that, is that a true statement or not? You have the most trouble with the people you don't like. So it's no surprise. So, so the writer of Proverbs is saying that when you have a strong dislike, it's probably going to create problems. But love covers all offenses. And when we talk about love, we're not talking about an emotional, oh, I love you. No, that's not what it is at all. See, real, the genuine best description and picture of biblical love is a choice. And teenagers, let me just say, and any of you that are young, young adults here that are not married right now, hear me on this. Emotional love is not what you base a lifelong marriage on. I know the world tells you, I mean, Valentine's Day, all that stuff, it's all about love, 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 love. (laughs) Can we all agree the world doesn't know what love is? See, this is love that a man laid down his life for his brother. You know what that is? That's a choice. See, love is saying, I value you and your well-being over myself. That's a choice. That's not an emotion. That's a commitment. And that's the kind of love that the writer of Proverbs is talking about here. When we choose to love, when we decide to love, then we can say, I put that other person's well-being ahead of my own. And when we choose to love, that allows us to have a mindset and a heart that is willing to cover every offense. But you got to do it, you got to do it before you get there. Because in the heat of a moment, you are not going to want to cover an offense. You just want to raise the ante most of the time, right? Am I, am I speaking the truth? But when you decide ahead of time to love, then you're able to step back and say, I want that other person's best above my own. I will cover the 
offense. Number two, actually forgiving offenses. Moving a little further in Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. This is kind of an emotional uh, wellness and, and toughness that says, hey, whatever you say to me, whatever you do to me, it can just sort of roll off my back. And let me tell you something. You will never be able to accomplish that unless you know who you are in relation to Jesus Christ. See, when you know that the Lord's love for you, his value for you, that he sees you as his treasure, when you know that is never going to be impacted by what somebody else says about you, what they think about you, what they do to you, that can give you a strength of character to say, I can forgive because my value is not based on who you are or what you say or what you do. I have my value in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I will say that forgiving offenses is not pretending that they didn't happen. So you can't forgive what didn't happen. So you got to acknowledge it at least now, some offenses are small enough that why are we making a big deal out of this, right? You just move on. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Next time you watch that movie, just think of Proverbs. Let it go. Sometimes there are offenses that we can't just let go and we have to deal with them, but in either case, we have to be willing to forgive them and acknowledge that they actually happened and then move on. Number three, open yourself to receive correction. Now, now in our, our world today, does anybody have a good guess at what two words nobody wants to hear or receive? Anybody got a guess? You're wrong. Nobody nobody wants to hear you're wrong. And even fewer people are willing to receive that. Can I get an amen right there? Amen. Nobody wants to hear that. But church, there's only one person that ever walked the face of the earth that got it all right. And he died on the cross and that was 2,000 years ago and I'm pretty sure nobody left has been able to walk in his footsteps yet. And so that means that you and I have to be willing to hear your wrong. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. See, sometimes we just got to be able to hear from somebody else, you're wrong. And we've got to be willing to receive it. Number four, admitting our own role. Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. See, church, we will always find mercy when we confess 
our sin and our wrongdoing before God. We will always find grace and mercy from God. You know who we don't always find grace and mercy from? Other people. You ever tried to apologize to somebody and and it just got worse? Raise your hand if that's happened. It's crazy, isn't it? Well, I'm going to tell you one thing. And it's like, man, why did I even bother to do this? But here's why we bother to do it. Because if we confess our wrong, we may not get grace and mercy from the other party, but we will stand in righteousness before God. And that is what matters. So be willing to admit our own role. And number five, Keep anger in check when you're discussing the issue. Hey. Hey. Proverbs 29, 22, an angry person starts fights and a hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. Anger is like gas on a fire. And you get two people who just get in a mild disagreement and if you got a little bit of hot-temperedness in you, the next thing you know, you could be burning the house down. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. You can go from five miles an hour to 100 miles an hour in the snap of a finger. Why? Because there is anger underneath the surface in our spirit that we have never dealt with. And so if that describes you this morning and that is part of how you sort of engage with conflict, first of all, it makes it almost impossible to resolve conflict when you're gonna respond that way. Am I right? But God wants us to resolve conflict. And if that describes you this morning, then I'm, I'm gonna urge you as part of your response to this message this morning, that you find a trusted spiritual advisor or a good Christian counselor. Sam, raise your hand. It's a good man back there. Find yourself a trusted spiritual advisor or a good Christian counselor who will help you work out why it is that you're so mad all the time. Now, this does not apply in the drive through lane of a fast food place. You have grace in those instances. Other than that, though, (laughs) so, so put all five of these back on the screen one more time real quick. All right. So here's the, here's the five things that I just mentioned. Decide to love. Do it before it happens. Forgive the offense. Open yourself to receive correction. Why? Because you're not right all the time. I'm not right all the time. No amen from my wife. I just said that out loud in church, didn't I? Oh, man, I'm not right all the time. I'm going to have to live with that now. Number four, admit your role. Admit your own part in it. And when you're discussing it, don't don't let the anger kind of rise up and make it worse. Now, all five of those are about us. But can we at least acknowledge that James says it should start with us, but sometimes it actually does involve another person. What happens then? 
What happens when it's the other party more so than it is for us? Well, first of all, we got to address ourselves. We got to make sure that our spirit is right before the Lord and that we're right with the other person. But Jesus gave us a pretty clear description of what to do in the gospel of Matthew chapter 18. This isn't going to be new to any of you. But in the gospel of Matthew 18, verse 15, he said, if another believer sins against you, then go privately and point out the offense. Privately. Privately. And by the way, can I just make a caution for those of you who use Facebook? Please don't be passive aggressive on Facebook. And if you don't know what that means, that means when something is going on between you and another person, you put stuff on Facebook and you don't call their name, but everybody knows what you're talking about. Stop it. Man. Go to them privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. You've restored the relationship. But if you're unsuccessful, if it doesn't work, then take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And then if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church, and then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now, that's a pretty clear description of what we're supposed to do, is it not? But... We like to think that maybe Jesus didn't mean what he said. Maybe we should get a bunch of allies first, tell them what happened, and then we'll post passive-aggressive stuff on Facebook, and it'll all just make itself better. That is not what Jesus said, and that is not how it works. And you know what? It never will See, because when we start going and gathering up other people, we are making the problem larger. That's why he said, if they won't listen to you, get two or three, not a whole posse, (laughs) not your whole tribe. You get two or three. You know why? Because if you start spreading that around, you force people to pick sides. And you complicate the offense far beyond how it ever should have been dealt with. So Jesus was pretty clear and straightforward in the way that he said it could work. Now, I'm fairly certain, even though I don't know all of you yet, I, I am, I'm trying so hard to learn your names, uh, but there have been so many names and faces. A few of you I've gotten, but please just bear with me because it's like, once I move here, I think this is going to get better, but I go home and faces and names become this jumbled mess in my mind. Uh, so please don't take it personal. I'm just going to keep asking your name. 
But even though I don't know you well yet, I am certain that there is unresolved conflict in this congregation this morning. How do I know that? Because the church is full of forgiven but flawed people. And Satan wants to destroy the fellowship of believers. And one of the greatest tools that he has is conflict. The Apostle Paul wrote to one of the churches in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We don't have time to turn there, but you might want to write it down. Philippians 4, 1 through 3. And the church was doing great, but it had, had two ladies that were in conflict with each other. And you know what he did? He called them out by name. Can you believe he did that? He called them out by name. And he said, work it out. You know what he didn't ask? Who was offended first? You know what he didn't ask? Who did it wrong first? You know what he did say? Fix it. You know why? Because the mission of the church is too important for us to be divided by offenses that don't get fixed. So I'm going to ask our worship team to come back to the platform this morning. And we're going to give you a chance to do business with God this morning. And church, I would even say we're going to give you a chance to do business with maybe each other. See, this mission is too important to fail. The mission of sharing the gospel and deepening the faith, commitment, and walk in people's lives is too important to fail. And it's too important for us to let small and maybe even a large conflict stand between us and the accomplishment of God's vision and his mission of spreading the gospel and deepening our faith. And so this morning, I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to just search your heart. Is there conflict here with somebody this morning? I know that there is. I just don't know who it's with and who it's between. But I know there's conflict here. Let's do business. Let's do business God's way. Let's accomplish God's mission together without giving space to the enemy. Because it's too important. You might be here this morning and you need to start walking with Jesus for the first time. I mentioned that love is this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. That's what Jesus did for you. If you're here this morning, you need to receive salvation, that gift that Jesus died for on the cross. The altar is for you. Father, I pray that every person here this morning will move. Lord, we sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. So God, may your Holy Spirit have his way right now in every believer here. And Father, for those who may not be a believer yet but are on the verge, God, may you have your way with them right now as they come and say yes to Jesus. 
Church, would you stand? And would you move? Let's let the Holy Spirit have his way. Let's give God the glory. Let's win this mission for Jesus Christ and solve and resolve these conflicts, whatever they are. Let's move right now. course says my chains are gone do you know that conflict is a bondage it's a bondage you can't move forward in the freedom of Jesus Christ as long as you are holding on to conflict between you and someone else or between you and another group of people you gotta let it go church It may be between somebody in the church. It may be somebody outside of this church. It doesn't matter because conflict will rob you of your joy and your power. And it will keep you off mission. So don't worry what anybody thinks. Don't worry if anybody wonders who you may have conflict with. You just come get free this morning. Amen. Let's keep singing. Chains 
Father, we give you thanks this morning. God, you're good. Not just some of the time. God, you're good all the time. So, Lord, as we come to the end of this service today, Lord, it, let it not be the end of this service. Lord, let, this, let, let it be the beginning of a, a new lease on the mission of this church. May it be a new beginning on the lease of the mission and the purpose of our life, God. God, may all conflict be set aside for the glory of the cause of Christ. May we see you lifted high above all others and Lord, may nothing else compare to the glory that is you and the hope that we have in you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for not giving up on us. And God, we want to give you all that we've got as we learn to cover every offense because you covered ours. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen.